Thank you so much, uh, everybody that sang today. It's great to see you. Uh, my name is David McLeod, and I get to share with you a little bit today. Um, I, uh, I, I'm so excited about this Sunday because I love reading the passages, and I find that I study and read Scripture much better if I have to talk about it. So it's always a good week uh, for me to get ready for an opportunity to share with you. Um, this week, I, we, we continue this series about the building blocks of discipleship. Now, the idea of building blocks is these are the things that you need to have. These are the things that you need to be aware of if you're going to follow after Jesus. And so you go into the text and you start to look at the Gospels, and it's really a very, very focused approach to seeing what Jesus actually did. And today we're going to be reading out of John chapter 13. And it's this scene that probably you're familiar with because we talked a little bit about it last week, but it's the scene in the upper room where the Last Supper takes place. Now, if you can visualize with me for just a second what that looked like, here's Jesus and, and all of his disciples are, are there around the table, and Jesus does something unusual. He gets up and he starts to wash the disciples' feet. Now, this is something they are not expecting at all. This is not something they assumed that he would do. Even though he had talked about being a servant many, many times over, here he takes the role of a servant because generally speaking, that was the, the person who would go around washing feet because feet really, even today, feet aren't something very exciting, but they were super dirty. And you would always make sure that your feet were clean before you ate because generally they would lounge around a table. That's the scene that our passage is going to pick up today as we look at these building blocks, the things that are really important for us to have to follow after Christ. And I want to assert this at the beginning. What we talk about today is very foundational. They are building a house near our home, and I watch them build the foundation. And the foundation um, we don't notice much unless it has a problem, all right? It's the part that's underground, but if the foundation isn't right, the rest of the structure is going to be off. So today, I want us to think a little bit of the importance of forgiveness. <coughs> this is John chapter 13, verse 6, where we'll start today. He came to Simon Peter, who was with him, and, he, and Simon Peter said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you do not, you will never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then Lord Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, a person who has a bath needs only to wash his feet. His whole body is clean, and you are clean, though not every one of you, for he knew who was going to betray him. And that was why he said not every one of them was clean. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and he returned to his place. And he said, do you understand what I have done for you? Let's pray. Father, we love you and we're grateful for what you've done. And as we approach this important topic of forgiveness, may we be people that, that care deeply about what you care about. Lord, may we be people 
as we think about sacrifice this Memorial Day weekend. Lord, may we consider how much you have sacrificed for us. You show us how much you love by how much you gave. And Father, today we know what it's like to be sons and daughters of yours as believers. You've called us into your family. So Father, as we look at this passage, I would ask that you would work in each one of us. And we ask this in your son's precious and holy name. Amen. I love that scene as it plays out because it's, it's such an interesting thing to think about is Jesus going around and washing the disciples' feet. But Peter stands out as such an interesting character because he always says sort of inopportune things, but it's really good for us to look at what he says because a lot of times he says what's on our own hearts. And when Jesus goes around and he says, I'm going to do this, Peter's like, well, you're, you're not going to do it to me, all right? I, you're not going to do it, um, you know, I'm in control here. And Jesus is like, no, no. If you don't do this, you don't have a part with me. And then Peter once again jumps back in and tries to take control of the situation and say, well, not just my feet then, do everything. Like, if, if that's what I need, I want a double of that. All right? And Peter starts to really push his own desire for control into this whole scene as it plays out. But we have an opportunity to look back. And we have an opportunity to see what Jesus was doing here. And it was really in, in, in showing us the importance of forgiveness. I think most of us would agree forgiveness is a very central theme in Scripture. If you're going to be a disciple of Jesus, certainly you need to forgive like he forgave. But I want us to think about it a little bit deeper. It's that we have a need of forgiveness. We as people need to be forgiven. I do and you do. It is a struggle that all humanity has that can only be dealt with by God. And today what I want us to look at is really three different questions as we look at forgiveness. The first is, why do we need forgiveness in the first place? Second question I want us to consider today is, what is real? What is, what is gospel forgiveness like? What, what are its attributes and characteristics? And then finally today, I want us to answer the final question, which is, how do we get it? How do we receive God's forgiveness. Now, forgiveness is an absolute big deal. Every single person, if you have ever been in any type of relationship and the relationship continues, there's always had to be some element of forgiveness. And it really starts off for me in this discussion today by looking all the way back at Genesis. We have Adam and Eve in the garden. And in Genesis chapter 3, we see that God has created the whole world and he's given Adam charge to name all of these animals. It wasn't good for Adam to be alone and God creates the, the perfect relationship for him. All of these kinds of things are going on, but we know it doesn't seem to last very long. And all of a sudden the serpent is there and the temptation is directed at Adam and Eve. And I want us to look for just a second at Genesis chapter 3, going all the way back, looking at these important verses, I want you to see what happens here. Genesis 3, chapter 6, says this. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave it to her husband, who was with her, and he ate it. 
Then the eyes of both of them were open, and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and, the, and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But when the Lord God called to them, where are you? Adam answered, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. See, if we're going to ask ourselves, why do we need forgiveness? I think this is a very helpful text for us to read. Adam and Eve know this relationship with God that none of us have really ever known the same as they would. They had experienced that relationship with God and walking with him and, and doing all of these things. And then something happens. They make a choice. And as soon as they make the choice, you see how quickly they change. They go from this absolute freedom with God in this relationship that they have to now where they're hiding and they realize something that's going on and they feel some type of guilt and shame. And the way that it comes out of this text is they feel naked. So what do they go do? They go quickly and try to cover this nakedness. And they take fig leaves and they sew them together and they make clothing. Now, I know it's probably a very different type of fig. Maybe it's not even a fig at all. But my wife has these really cool fiddly figs in our house. And my wife, she has, like, not just a green thumb. She's got, like, green hands. And our house is full of, like, all sorts of cool plants. Well, this fiddly fig has routed itself all around the windows. And, I mean, you couldn't plan it any better. But this thing is really cool. So, because this week I'm studying, I'm thinking about the fiddly fig. And I thought... Those are pretty big leaves. I mean, there's some coverage there for sure. But I felt them and I thought, this makes really bad clothing. And we look at it, we would say, this, well, why would they do this? They take these plants and these leaves and they're covering themselves. But you see something really coming out of their, their life. A, an in incredibly enormous feeling of shame and guilt because they knew they weren't supposed to do it. So their compulsion is, let me get covered. Let me get covered. Now, leaves don't make very good clothing. And you see there their attempt at sort of fixing the problem on their own. See, the question here becomes, why do we need forgiveness? And I look at my own life with this. When I remember some of the things I've come up with or the things I've done, it's guilt. It's, there's some shame. And I think there's an attempt in each one of our lives to try to cover that guilt to cover our, the brokenness, cover the shame and sadness of some of the things that we've come up to do. And I read this passage and I thought, how many things in our lives are like the fig leaves? Like how many things do we attempt to cover up how we feel? And if we can cover up how we feel, then maybe this, this emptiness will sort of go away. Adam and Eve certainly had it. All of a sudden, they're actually hiding. I mean, it must have been no fun to try to hide from God who could see everything. But at the same time, it just shows how far they had sunk as people. And what I wanted us to consider a little bit is the ways we try to hide. The ways that with our shame and our guilt, the, 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 the different sort of mechanisms we create to try to make ourselves feel a little bit better. 
And sometimes they're very good things. They're, they're moral and they're, they're hopeful and they, they, they may be very altruistic in their, in their roots. But what we realize after a while is the shame and the guilt don't go away. And culture might tell us that if we just get away with religion and creed and um, these rules and all these kinds of things, then, then we wouldn't feel that way. But I would assert to you, I feel like our culture at this point is probably permissible on just about everything, yet I don't find it to be very forgiving. The guilt, the shame, and those kinds of things still remain. It's something we're challenged with. There is something inside of us that says we need something else. We, we need something deeper. Where do we put this? So Adam and Eve go through this. God provides for them. And it's a huge challenge. And all of a sudden, the difficulty of the world really comes to bear on them. And there's this struggle with having children. And there's the frustration of trying to farm and, and to grow. And their lives are so different. But Genesis chapter 3 gives us hope. It gives us a promise. Genesis 3, chapter 15, a very special and important verse says this that God makes a plan, that God has a plan that's going to deal with the problem. Because at the root and at the heart and the goal of forgiveness is always this. It's a restored relationship. And Jesus would come into the world and provide the forgiveness. But you see Adam and Eve here, and I, I want us all just to consider for just a second the things that we do to try to cover that guilt the difficulty and the brokenness in our lives. Sometimes it's a pursuit after money or relationships or, or sex will feel, fill this void or, or if I just have that or this, I'll feel differently. I'll be better. I'll be complete and whole. But I see coming out of this text more and more that the answer to the problem of forgiveness isn't something you do for yourself. It's something that God does for you. And oftentimes we see forgiveness as something good. It, it benefits us. But a lot of times forgiveness is looked at as a strategy. How can I strategize, all right, to feel a little bit better and not have this bitterness hanging over me? But that's very horizontal thinking. There's something much deeper that I believe that comes out of Scripture, which is very vertical. It's where God has shown himself to be faithful and loving to us. And he says, I'm the answer. I'm the answer. So the first question, or the answer to the first question is, do we need forgiveness? I, I say yes from the text. It very much comes out. So the second question is this. If we need forgiveness, well, what is forgiveness? One of my favorite passages of scriptures and favorite stories in the Bible, it comes out of Genesis chapter 37 all the way to 50. It's the story of this guy's life named Joseph. And Joseph is an interesting character. I loved to read about him. He's one of the very few people in scripture that really kind of nothing is sort of said bad about him. And he gets a ton of ink so he can really track through his story. The story of Joseph starts off with a father who makes a terrible, terrible mistake in his brokenness. And he shows favoritism to two of his children. Now, if you want to like really irritate and, and provoke your children to some very unhappy places, play favorites, all right? It's a, it's, it's a real recipe for problems. But he does that to Joseph. And Joseph's brothers resent him so much for what, what the, that the father favors him. 
So they end up concocting a plan, and they're, they're going to kill him, but then they don't really want to kill him, and then they decide, well, we'll throw him in a pit. They throw him in the cistern for a while, and then they get him out and sell him into slavery. Dad thinks he's dead. Problems are all fixed for them, right? Well, no, not really. Joseph ends up going on the trip and the difficulties and elation of a lifetime. He, he ends up in Egypt. He ends up at a pretty high role with a government official there. Then the government official's wife says that he was trying to have an affair with her. So the government official throws him inside of a, a prison. He's there for a really long time. Then later on, he gets out, ends up that he's second in command in Egypt. And God tells him basically that a famine is coming. So seven years of plenty, Joseph, now second in command, gets all of these grains and all of the sustenance necessary for life, stores it up. Then when the famine comes, people in Egypt have what they need to get through it. And that prompts Joseph's brothers to come all the way to Egypt to get food. They don't recognize him, but there's Joseph. Now, you can imagine for a second... If you had a lot of power and somebody had really wronged you, all right, now you can settle the score and better, right? I love the Count of Monte Cristo when I, was, uh, when I read it in um, junior high, all right? If you've never read it, I highly recommend it. This guy named Alexander Dumas writes it, and it's this guy who's unfairly put in prison, very similar to the Joseph story, but not really. At the end, the guy's in prison, and somebody tells him, the, one of the, the, an older guy that's there tells him where he can find a treasure. He finds the treasure, and then the rest of the book is amazing. All right? He goes around settling the score, and I loved it as a kid. I loved it because every single person that had wronged him, he gets to take them to the cleaners, all right? And he, I mean, what they gave him paled in comparison to what he was able to do, all right? I love the revenge story. Okay? Joseph's story is not that much fun. All right? Joseph here, when, his, when he's with his brothers and he's got all of this power, instead of it using it to go after them, I want you to see what happens. I want you to see because it answers the question that I want you to think about. What is, what is true forgiveness? Genesis chapter 50, it says this. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, what if Joseph holds a grudge against us and pays us back for all the wrongs we did to him? So they sent word to Joseph saying, your father left these instructions before he died. This is what you're to say to Joseph. I ask you to forgive your brothers the sins and the wrongs they committed in treating you so badly. Now please forgive the sins of the servants of the God of your father. When their message came to Joseph, he wept. His brothers then came and threw themselves down before him. We are your slaves, they said. But Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. I am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done the saving of many lives. So then, don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. And then he reassured them and spoke kindly to them. A couple things that come out of this passage that I want us to see when we're answering the question, we're looking at the building block of discipleship here with forgiveness. The first is the emotion that Joseph shows. When Joseph weeps, 
I imagine he was weeping at a couple of different things. Certainly his father had died and he had lost so much of the time that he would have had with his father. I, I think that's definitely part of it. But I think there's another part of it. I was thinking this week that I think Joseph cries because there are his brothers in front of him and his brothers have no idea how much he loves them, that he cares about them. Right? And you really see it here in this passage. I'm sure that he knew that his dad probably did not write that letter, okay, that they came up with, all right? Um, maybe he, I don't know, because it doesn't really say here, but I think he probably knew that they were pretty much up to the old shenanigans. They hadn't changed that much. But I think he weeps because he doesn't, they don't realize that he really cares about them. And I think this is very much a problem that we have for forgiveness. I think it's sort of easy for us to say, well, God forgives and you know, that, 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 that's very much, you're, you're here at church, so probably, at least you probably think that to some degree. But I think sometimes we don't really believe that God really loves us, that he really cares about us. Because I can tell you, in me, I, I notice many times I live, I'll say it, but I oftentimes live differently than a loved person. I live more like I've got to earn it out of him. You know, that I'm, if I, you know, I kind of screwed up there. Okay, I'm going to do a little better here. And, and I do this for a job, so I should know, right? But I look at it, and I see the same kind of thing coming out. It's that Joseph weeps. They don't, they, they don't believe he loves them. They, they, they think he's going to kill them. And I think that that kills him inside. And he weeps. Understanding forgiveness is knowing that God cares deeply about you as a person. The second thing I want you to see that forgiveness is is something else that Joseph does. He absolutely is humble. See, he has all the power in this relationship. He's number two in Egypt. He can do what he wants, but he humbles himself. After the brothers read the concocted idea from their father, or that they said was from their father, what does he say? He asks a question of them. Am I God? Am I, am I the one who, who, who is going to even this? Am I the one who's going to punish you for this? Am I God? Literally, he humbles himself, and that is a key part of forgiveness. See, it takes humility to accept forgiveness. It also takes humility to give forgiveness. Humility is a key part of this relationship. Remember I told you that the goal of, of forgiveness is a restored relationship? Look what's happening here in the passage, right? Joseph and his brothers, he not only says, I'm going to take care of you, I'm going to take care of all your kids. There's a relationship that is reforming in a much healthier way than it had begun. The Count of Monte Cristo, the relationship was not good with the people that wronged him. That relationship was over. I see out of this text something beautiful about the gospel of forgiveness that starts to come out. See, Christ humbles himself, not because he had to, but he chose to do it. He lives life like us, goes through all of the trials, tribulations, temptations, heartache, misery, betrayal, all of those things. Because he knew that that was the road to the cross, he humbled himself all the way to the cross and gave his life for you because he loves you and cares about you. And that was God's method of bringing us forgiveness and bringing forgiveness into the world. He loved you that much that he humbled himself. He took upon himself the form of a servant and he served just like he's doing at the table at the Last Supper. 
He's washing their feet. So forgiveness takes humility, but I also want you to see something else. Forgiveness does not repay the debt. All right, get this. Forgiveness does not repay the debt by holding the debt over someone. See, when Joseph forgives his brothers, he's frankly very honest. He says, what you did, you meant for evil. It was evil. Basically, you wanted to destroy me. He doesn't mince words here. But at the same time, he says, but God meant it for good. Look what God has done because he was in control. Because he was over and sovereign over all the details. Look how many people's lives in Egypt are being saved. And you see the same thing at the cross. They, they put Jesus on the cross out of evil hatred and, and everything else you can imagine. He, he takes it all upon himself there. But what they meant to do for evil, God meant to do for good. Because look how many lives, look how many souls have been saved for eternity because of what Christ has done. Understanding forgiveness is also this. We don't see the big picture. We see parts of it. We see glimpses of it. But even what is done in evil, part of forgiveness is knowing that God can turn those things for good, even though sometimes they are so difficult for us to go through and we can't understand why. See, God can take what is the evilest of the world. And listen, putting Jesus on the cross was the evilest act of all time. He turns that into something that is good. It doesn't mean that Jesus felt no pain. But you know what he says on the cross that's so interesting to me? He doesn't say, ow, or like, this is painful, or this is happening to me. How can, you know, he doesn't say those kinds of things. What, do you, what does he say? Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. That's what's on his heart. That's what's on his mouth when he's going through that. The most evil of things, God can make something good happen. See, if you want to know what forgiveness is, it takes humility. It's, it's something that understanding that God is the ultimate keeper of the score, that God has a design and a plan for things. It certainly goes back to this, that God loves us as people. Joseph really got this. It's amazing to me that Joseph got this even before Jesus. This is before Jesus ever came. He was, really has this understanding of forgiveness and there was a restoration in his family. You know, the gospel says this, because Christ died and he rose again, he calls us into his family. There's a restoration. The thing that was lost in the garden, the relationship, can be put back together because of Christ's sacrifice on the cross. And God is equally this God of justice, perfect justice, and perfect love at the same time. Both of those things exist in him. If we understand what forgiveness is, the question becomes, well, how do we receive this gift of forgiveness? How do, how do we get it? And I want to take us back for just a second to Peter. Peter in that upper room, and there's the act that Jesus is doing of washing the feet. I think it's so interesting that Peter automatically wants to control the whole situation. And is that not the heart of us as people? Well, I want forgiveness, absolutely. Um, here's how I'm going to do it, all right? This is my plan, all right? And Peter's there throwing out some ideas to Jesus. What do you think about, the, you know, how about this way? I'll take a little extra then, all right? And Jesus shuts him down. It's like, no, no, this is the way I am going to do it. 
I find a lot of times the more we drift from the fact that we are loved by God, the more we drift into the places of desiring to hide and do the fig leaf covering of things, the more we end up in the place of trying to control all the details, much like Peter, to control the details of forgiveness. But what is forgiveness? How do we receive it? How do we get it? I would, I would offer up to you, we see exactly what it is. Because a little bit later, Peter is in an unusual predicament. Jesus tells him that before he dies, Peter would deny him three different times. And we know Peter's personality a little bit after today, right? Peter adamantly says, I'll never do it. It won't be me. I won't do that. I would never let you down. But Jesus says, before the rooster crows going to be three times and sure enough that rooster crows and Peter had already done that three times and what does he do you know, gets back in his boat and gets together with others and they go out fishing essentially he returns to the exact same job that he had come from and he's there and he's out fishing and um, they're not catching anything and they're called from the shore they don't really realize it at first but it's Jesus when he realizes it jumps into the water and he's going and God gives them a miraculous catch of fish. Jesus invites them over for breakfast. Now, this breakfast scene plays out there on the shore of this body of water. And there Jesus is cooking some of these fish that he had given to them. If you think it's just about breakfast, you miss the point. This was very much about forgiveness. This was about welcoming Peter back in. And saying, Peter, you're reinstated, you're reconnected. And Peter is much quieter this time. No ideas on how God should forgive him or how he should do it or what Peter needs to do. He's a lot more quiet this time. And Jesus tells him three different times to mirror the three different denials. He says, Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Peter. Do you love me? And Peter gets frustrated. <laughs> yes, I love you. And he tells him this. He gives him a mission and a job. And he says, go feed my sheep. Go feed my sheep. He didn't even have to say you are forgiven. Because what Peter did is, Peter went back to his old job that he had before he had met Jesus. And you know what? Now he had a real new job. He had a mission and a purpose. He was forgiven. See, I see the beauty of this. And Jesus doesn't hang it over his head. And he doesn't hang your sin over your head either. He doesn't take your face and, 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 and rub your nose in it to remind you of all the things that you've done. I think a lot of times we're the ones who do that to ourselves. Oh, I did this. I did that. I can't be loved by God. No, he doesn't do that at all to Peter. I think sometimes, just like Peter, we disqualify ourselves from God's ministry because we're so enamored and, and obsessive about the things that we've done, we think, well, God certainly can't use me. But if he showed you with Peter that he can use Peter, after Peter denies him three times, when he's at the worst moment of his life, when he could have used a friend, Jesus was alone. When he forgives Peter, I think he communicates to us, listen, can't disqualify yourself from ministry over the, all the reasons you come up with. God has a calling on your life. Not everybody has the same calling, 
but God has a calling on your life as well. Realize to be forgiven means you are given an opportunity and a freedom to serve and to love and to do the things that God has called us to. Because as recipients of God's forgiveness, we are people that share that same forgiveness with the world around us. The beauty of this passage comes out to me that you really see how much God loves you as a person. You really connect with that, I believe, when you really delve down into forgiveness. So how do we receive forgiveness? I think a lot of it has to do with repentance, being honest about our struggles. I think that there's a turning and a forsaking of those things that God hates that are so bad for us that really reveal the broken. I think that there's absolute need for repentance, for confession. But I think there's also an aspect of forgiveness that is kind of a pejorative word in our society. And it's being passive. It's accepting it. It's not trying to control it like Peter did be willing to be loved, believing that God loves you, knowing that we have a freedom of repentance and that forgiveness gives us hope moving forward. I hope today you get a little bit of a picture of that, that you understand the building blocks of discipleship is we need to be forgiven, that forgiveness is God's love directed at you. And it's not something you manipulate or control, but forgiveness is his gift to you. Don't try to pay him back for something that he didn't ask you to pay him back for. What he asks you to do is to know that you are a son and daughter of his and to live out of a life of forgiveness, of grace, and the freedom of obedience, knowing that you have a heavenly father who sacrificed knowing you could not do it, so he did it for you. He calls you today a son and daughter of his. Let's pray. Father, you love us and you care for us. Father, thank you for your mercy and your grace in each one of our lives. Father, today, help us to know the beauty of what it means to be forgiven people. Father, we look and we can be honest with ourselves. I believe honesty comes from your spirit, just an opening of our eyes and our hearts. Lord, to the areas in our lives where we're trying to fig leaf, trying to cover the sense of blame, self-blame, of guilt, of shame that we have. Father, help us to see those things. Help us to know that we can find hope and restitution and a relationship in you. Father, help us as people to believe that you love us and to have the freedom to live that way. Father, you took a debt upon yourself that we could not pay. Father, we're thankful for the freedom that that gives to us that we walk out with our heads held thankfully high, that we have been blessed because of who you are. Father, we walk forward grateful of your grace, living out of the goodness of your forgiveness. And we do this because of your son. We ask these things today and we worship with our hearts together. In your name, amen.